Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I'm your host, Zach Van Norman. I am joined by my co-host, Amy Hood, and Ashley Benson. And I'll start with Amy. How are you today, darling? But I do have the Charlie Brown Christmas on in the background, so it really just can't get better than that. So I'm doing fabulous. How are you? <laughs> doing pretty good. Had a really, really good day. So, you know, can't complain. Ashley, how are you? I'm I'm good. I had a, a busy day, so I'm a little, like, I'm very much enjoying the fact that I'm sitting on my couch right now um, and not at work, but... Uh, it's Christmas soon, so you really you cannot complain about that. I just need a little bit of snow, not not you know snowocalypse 2.0 or anything like that. No negative 40 degree weather. I just need a little <laughs> a little sprinkling so it looks like Christmas out, and then I'll be completely gold. Yeah, it's been raining all day here in Southern California, which is unusual. So it's uh, good though. You guys are like dry as a bone. Yeah, we desperately need the rain. So I'm I'm thankful for it. It's funny because um, I'm from Seattle, and they had a nice sunny day today, and well, not really very many clouds in the sky, and we had their weather. And that rarely happens. So I was like, okay, well, all right, that works. Okay, so let's get right into our news bulletins because I know that I have a lot that I want to say about this latest episode. Lots of major stuff happened when the spell of Shattered Sight came up on Storybook. Let's get into that. Okay. So, first of all, as we have been reporting, the People's Choice Awards are coming. Very exciting. Um, We've got, as we've also been reporting, we've got a few, um, we've got a few of our actors up for some awards and then the show itself. So, just to remind you all, Jennifer Goodwin and Jennifer Morrison are both up for favorite sci-fi fantasy actress. We've also got Jennifer Goodwin and her hubby, Josh Dallas, up for favorite TV duo, Ghost Knowing. Uh, We've also got Neil Cassidy for favorite TV character that we miss the most, Swan Fire Forever. Uh, We've got Once Upon a Time up for favorite TV show, because duh. And we've also got Once Upon a Time up for favorite network sci-fi fantasy show, because again, duh. And you can go to peopleschoice.com to vote on your favorites. And uh, you can vote right up until the award ceremony, which takes place on January 7th at 9 p.m. on CBS. Very exciting. I'm um, seeing lots of activity on Twitter of people who are, you know, tweeting about their, uh, you know, their favorites and who they're voting for. And, yeah, we just want to make sure that everybody is out there voting so get online and vote, vote, vote. We need representation at these awards. These people need some recognition. <clears throat> Jennifer Morrison. <clears throat> <laughs> Definitely. Interesting coffee got there, Zach. Hmm. Stay out. Stay in your was Bless you. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I know people, we keep reminding everybody every week, but it really is important because you can, you don't have to vote one time. You can go in like every day and as many once-throughs as they are, I mean, if everybody just keeps voting, I really think that we would have a good chance of getting some more people up there. I'm just excited to see us so well represented. I mean, we're in so many different categories. I don't, I don't recall 
uh, even last year, us being us, us once, once upon a time, <laughs> being in as many categories, and I think that's great. Yeah, I think you're no, right. I don't think we've ever had this many categories before. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think that that's that that's happened before. So that's pretty pretty exciting. It's really nice to see snowing getting some action too, considering that they uh, normally lately these days seem to be taking a backseat to some other couplings that are out there on the show. So. Well, I think we're going to get some good snowing stuff next week in next week's episode, but we can talk about that later. Mm, I'm excited. Yeah. I think you're right, too. I mean, this episode, it once upon a time, is still doing really well. Um, the ratings this week were down a little bit from last or the last episode, but we're still up over last year, which is good. We're still the number one scripted drama for Sunday night. It's still one of ABC's strongest shows, so when everybody sees, you know, that it's gone down a little bit, a couple points, or a, you know, a tenth of a point, you know, there tends to be a lot of people writing into on our Facebook page and everything, freaking out about it. It's nowhere near cancellation, nothing like that. It's just fluctuating here and there, but still doing very, very strong, even though it was down a tiny bit over the last episode. Well, I think it's good that it's holding steady um, even over the holiday weekend because, I mean, it, I know personally I was not ready to get back in the swing of things on Sunday, even with my TV shows. Um, uh-huh. But the fact that it held so steady us over the break and uh, over the holidays is fantastic. Yes, yes. I was still in turkey coma, I think, on Sunday. <laughs> I had pie. I had three different kinds of pie. Mm, pie. <laughs> pie, God, it just makes me want to go to the grocery store. Okay. Um, with that being said, there we've got some casting news to discuss. Uh, and also a uh, kind of a question of the moment as well, and Ashley has that for us. I do, and uh, forgive me if I butcher her name, but Marin... Dunge, is that how you say her name? Last name? I'm going I'm, with I'm, Dungey. Uh, Dungy? I think it is Dungy, yeah. Thanks, because I, I am so not <laughs> great shape with names. Uh, I, I managed to mispronounce Josh Dallas on I just did, Josh Dallas on occasion. See? See? Um, <laughs> anyway, Marin Dungy is cast as Ursula. Um, this was a character that was previously voiced in Season 3 by Yvette Nicole Brown, but obviously she um, has personal uh, issues that she's dealing with and can't take on as many roles Um as she has in the past. Uh, Marin was in The King of Queens and Alias, and she will be playing our live-action Ursula. And I'm interested to see what she brings to the table. Um, I am not personally familiar with her work, but the casting wizards have never led us astray. So I'm excited to see I am, uh, too. I'm, I'm not familiar with her in Alias. One of my best friends swears by that show. I never watched Alias, but I did watch the king of queens and for those of you that watched it she played kelly the main character's uh the wife of the main character's best friend her i can't remember what their last name was but it was kelly and deacon and they were the best friends of the main couple on the king of queens so she's the one who's been cast to play ursula so i know her mostly from that she really does have kind of a long imdb uh, list of things she's done but those are the most two that she's familiar from 
Yeah, I myself never touched Alias, really. Um, Never really got into it. I am familiar with, um, you know, the concept of the show. I think I've seen a couple of episodes, but it it was never really my bag. Um, I just never really got into it. I never, I have never seen a episode of a episode. Gosh, grammatically correct here. I've never seen an episode of The King of Queens before. Um, that one, I just never got into that one either. However, um, what I can't, so I'm not familiar with her work. However, I can say that I feel sorry for those poor unfortunate souls in Storybrooke who <laughs> are going to be uh, facing this uh, sea witch who now apparently has legs. I am praying, praying that she has, like, that she's not revealed as Ursula, like, right away, I would think it would be fantastic if she was, like, interacting with the townsfolk under the name Vanessa. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, for those of you who are not familiar with The Little Mermaid, that is, or even if you are and you forgot, that is the name that Ursula went by when she decided that she was going to go up and take uh, Prince Eric for herself instead of letting Ariel get him. So I would love it if somehow the, you know, the name Vanessa got worked into play here. It would be fun. Um... Very excited about the fact that Ursula is coming to the show and that she's going to be joining Corella DeVille and Maleficent. Uh, it really seems like the villains are, you know, the villains will be unleashed, if you will. And um, additionally, with the course of action that Rumpelstiltskin seems to be following these days, I'm thinking that he'll probably be grouped in with them more than he will anybody else, especially after this week's episode, which we can talk about that later, but I just want to say, oh my gosh, Rumpel, you're being such a... But... He can <laughs> He's being such a bastard right now. Okay, anyways. Um, <laughs> he is! He, I'm sorry, he he has never... Okay, we'll get into that later, but he's just being a jerk. <laughs> so, the question that we're all wondering about is whether or not other villains will join in. Of course, we have seen... One of the other famous Disney villains, Jafar, on Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and I know for myself, I certainly would not complain if Naveen Andrews were to return to the Once Upon a Time universe as Jafar, particularly after the way that his storyline ended in Wonderland. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it, but it ended pretty much like the movie. Um, The creepy ghost girl from The Ring, who also went into Wonderland, apparently, um, unless you're in the well. <laughs> seriously, she's so she lives in the well. She's creepy. Um, she basically in, uh, she trapped uh, Jafar in a lamp and sent him on his merry way. So mm-hmm. you know, if she happened to have sent him all the way to our world, and you know, in Storybrooke, or he somehow ended up in the Hat, which is where I think all the other villains are, then you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Well, it kind of I would agree. because he has all the oh. genie problem. Oh, well, it wouldn't be bad for us, but yeah, for Storybrooke, it would really suck because he has those <laughs> genie powers. Can you imagine Rumple with Jafar's lamp in his possession? Oh, oh. He's going to need more room in that man purse. For he's going to have the dagger and the hat and the lamp and you know hook's heart. He's it's going to run our room there. Need to upgrade. He's going to need the Mary Poppins bag. <laughs> He is going to see the first. I do agree with that. Oh, I do, do want Jafar come back, though. I loved his character. Naveen Andrews, obviously lost these, know him from that, but I loved 
that, you know, how they twisted that in with Wonderland. I would love to see him come back and, God, ugh, just a villain free for all. Are there any other villains that you'd like to see come in? Adam yeah, the Horned King. The Horned King from the Black Cauldron. What? I was going to say Black Cauldron, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I'm, uh, I, I, I would love to see him. Yeah, I want, I want some kind of cauldron brew, like, you know, double, double toil and trouble situation going on. Like, that doesn't necessarily fit with the Disney universe, but I think that would just be so cool. Like, there's a picture that I tweeted, and it's it's on the internet so you can find it, but it's basically a picture of Maleficent, the evil queen, Cruella de Vil, and Ursula sitting around a poker table. And, yeah. um... I would I would really, really love to see, like, some situation where all the villains, I mean, even Regina, even though she's kind of, you know, like, a, a hero-villain combo, depending on how she feels, um, I would love to see her just sitting around with the rest of them and just being like, okay, how can we get revenge on all these goody two-shoes? Like, what can we, <laughs> like, what can we do? Like, and I would love to have Jafar there. I want Hook to be a villain again. Like, I kind of want Rumpel to keep control of his heart over season 4B so that he can be more villainous and just have them all gathered together for some lovely tea party with scrumpets and <laughs> dumb and dumber reference for anybody who didn't catch it. And, um, <laughs> like, that's, I would really, that's that's what I want to see. And then if the Horn King were to come in and there's, like, a cauldron... If the Shadow Man, Dr. Facilier from The Princess and the Frog showed up, I'd be okay with that. Madam Mim from The Sword and the Stone. Madam Mim. Yeah. Yes. Marvelous Madam Mim. Love. I do, I do agree with you, Zach. I would love to see just, like, them sitting around a table plotting. Like, I just think... And it's it, not even so much plotting, but just being sassy and villainous at each other. And just because the villains do get some of the best lines on this show, you have to admit. So just having them just shooting one-liners across the table, like you know what it reminds me of. Do you, are you guys familiar with Batman the Animated Series? Oh yeah. There's one, there's, there's, and I think you know where I'm going to go with this. There's one episode that I absolutely love that always sticks in my mind, and it's called Almost Got Him, and it's a later episode in the show. Yeah. And it it doesn't feature Batman that much, but basically it's that premise where you have Poison Ivy, Penguin, yeah. Joker, yeah. Uh, uh, Croc, Croc, Killer Croc, Killer Croc. Um, and uh, a Catwoman, I think, and they're all sitting around uh, poker. They're playing poker. They're just completely shooting the breeze. And they're talking, you know, they're like, well, one time I almost got Batman when I did this. And then everyone's like, well, you think because I got closer and I, you know, almost had him like this. And it's just like a slice of life for what these villains do outside of dealing with the heroes. I would love to see a situation like that. I would love to see focus on like at least an episode where it's just just the villains being villainous while you know, what they're doing while charming and snow and everybody's running around the town trying to save it, what they're doing in the background, plotting and conniving. Because I don't think we see that that much on once. Um, no. We, we, yes. Just preach from the point of view. Preach. Yes. preach, my sister. I love it. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yes. Good morning. Um, yeah, I would, I want to see some plotting. I want some, I want them all like in a smoky room. I know exactly what episode of Batman the Animated Series you're speaking of because I loved that series as a kid. Had all of the toys. Shout out to Kevin Conroy. I love you. Um, 
Yeah, I just I I want to see some heavy villain planning. I know that they can't show this kind of thing on Once Upon a Time, but it would like here's how like here's one thing. Corella has to smoke. I want her to be at the table with her long ciggy holder thing and her cigarette lit, just being a total diva, hamming it up. Like I don't think we're gonna get her smoking though, because Constantine doesn't smoke on his show and that was a big part of his character. Okay, I don't, I don't think they're allowed to show, oh God, I can't remember the rules, but there is a rule about smoking on television either before a certain time or just not at all. It's one of those two situations, but that's going to be really sad. Like, I hope at least that they, if they don't show her smoking, that she'll still have, ooh, oh, oh. What if she goes make to put it me? to light it and Rumble's like not here, Dairy, and makes her stub it out before she <laughs> takes drag? I would love Either to see that. that or, or or what if her cigarette smoky thing is like a wand and that's how she has magic? It doesn't have a cigarette, but it's like a magic wand situation. Hmm. Or it's smoking at the tip because it's full of magic. I would like. That. I could. I could dig on that. Yes, I can dig it. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited for this. I'm stoked about that. But yeah, I want them all to do something that's just totally unforgivable. Hmm. And speaking of that, um, episode 13, which is the second episode of season 4B, is entitled Unforgiven. And not only is it entitled Unforgiven, but it's also being directed by series creator Adam Horowitz. And let me just tell you, from a production point of view, when you have an idea and you're writing something, you're writing a story, you can see it playing out in your head exactly how you want it to be. And sometimes when you turn it over to somebody else, even if they make a fantastic episode, you still are kind of left with the, well, I, I kind of want it to look like this, or you know, I more imagine it looking this way. And so the fact mm-hmm. that Adam is directing this episode and that Eddie, from what I understand, is helping him with it, even though he's not being credited, the mm-hmm. fact that they are that they're directing an episode together makes me really excited. Like I'm, I'm honestly so interested in their vision for this episode, where they're going to put the camera, what they're going to do with the characters, how they're going to block everybody, the kind of movements they're going to have. It's such a unique take when you get to direct something that you have written. It's very, very different experience from just writing it and then turning it over to another director. And I'm very, very I, I can't. I'm undes- indescribably excited to see what they're going to bring to the table. Amy, what do you think? I agree. I cannot wait for this episode. And he's been tweeting, you know, that he's in town and they're working. So that's how we kind of know this is the episode that they're working on. And part of me wonders if maybe, I mean, we know by this point the villains will have come back in. I mean, Maybe he's just really got a strong, you know, direction. He and a look and a you know, how he wants this to feel. But I'm so excited that as a creator, he's going to direct this episode because that is a huge deal. Like I cannot, I can't wait. I know he, he and Eddie write, you know, some of the episodes here and there together, but to see the show the way that the creator, you know, had envisioned for us to actually see an episode, I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be amazing. Now, I'm excited to see it because also I was snooping on his IMDb because I was curious. This is his directorial debut. This is the very first thing he's ever directed. So I'm very excited to see 
how he's going to do everything. Like what, what he sees in his head when he thinks once upon a time, we're going to be able to see it on the screen for the first time at like, you know what I mean? It's just that, that right yeah. there, I have to agree that it's when he tweeted out the, um, the title teaser and it, you know, it, it has the, the front page of the script. And then I, you know, I look at it and I look to see who wrote it. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And then I, I, I don't know why, because I usually don't look at who's directing right away, but I happen to glance down and it's directed by Adam Horowitz. I was just went, oh, like, I just, I instantly was a hundred times more interested in this episode now, just, just for that fact. So, yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be different, but I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be so great. It's, it's such a different experience. Like, when I was when I was because um, I'm a film student and when I would write my own piece and then I also got to direct it, it's you really do get to execute the vision that's in your head. You know exactly where you want the camera to be. You know exactly where you want everyone to move, how you want it to look, you know how you want the lighting to be, what color. Like there's so many different ops. Like when you're the director, you are in charge of the entire thing. Every single decision that needs to be made is in your hands and. On the one hand, it can sometimes be stressful, but it's not nearly as stressful as it is fun. And the fact that you really, like, you're crafting a piece of art that you can see in your head and you have the vision and you're going for it. And, you know, they have written some of the best episodes of this show. And to be able to see what they, like, to see it from their point of view, directing-wise, is going to be so, I mean, it's going to be so exciting. Now, granted, they didn't write this episode, but the fact that Adam, like, since they're, you know, it was obviously they're the show creators, they're the shepherds of the writer's flock, if you will. You know, they're kind of guiding them to where it needs to go. So for Adam to put his, you know, and Eddie too a little bit, for them to put their creative spin on the production side of it, not just the writing side of it, is, oh, my gosh. I, I my My little production student, heart is a flutter for this not only because i want to see what they are doing but also because i can understand what they're what it must be like for their excitement um how they must feel about that i i think it's great it's funny too Asher, that you mentioned that you don't normally look at who um directed the episodes that's one of the first things that i look at probably for that reason and some of my favorite directors of the show are like ralph hemecker dean white um uh gosh who else there's uh, i know that those two are like my two favorites because they uh oh uh milan chelov he's directed um an apple red blood um he also directed in the name of the brother he directed lacy like ralph hemecker he directed um uh oh my gosh i can't believe he directed 715 but he also directed hat trick and broken dean white directed yeah. the land without magic and we are both like some really quality episodes so I'm really stoked. Ralph Hemecker also directed the season premiere of this season. He did The Apprentice. He did Smash the Mirror Part 2. So he Actually, I'm looking on here on the internet. He did uh, season 2, season 3, and season 4, all their um, uh, premiere episodes. Premiere, yeah. So yeah, he definitely can, he brings a strong showing to the directorial game. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a topic that we have never discussed on the show before is the actual production side of things. I sense a new thread coming about for the show. We might have to have a new segment for that down the line, there, ladies. Okay, so I don't <laughs> want to get too stuck in that stuff uh, because we also have our podcast schedule for the winter hiatus, and Amy has that for us. 
It does. I can't believe we're already getting so close to the winter hiatus. It's crazy. But you guys know we usually do a rewatch, but we're kind of all caught up since the podcast started. We've now had rewatches, and we've pretty much watched, you know, everything. We know we've already watched this season. So during the hiatus, we are going to be watching the new show that's going to be on ABC called Gallivant, which I know you guys have seen the promos, and it looks hilarious. And every time they come on TV, I end up singing the line from the song for hours. So we're going to have (laughs) – Exactly. So we're going to have kind of a different schedule. Um, We'll be posting it and everything, but basically on January 13th we'll be on and we'll be talking about the first couple episodes. And then we'll go to January 27th and the next set of episodes, then February 10th, and then February 24th. And then we'll go back to being weekly because that's kind of, that's a bi-weekly schedule once March 3rd comes around and we get back into the second set of the season. Gallivant's going to be interesting for me. I was um, They've really been ramping up the promos lately since it's been getting closer. And um, one of the more recent ones, and I'm sure if you watch Once Live, you'll see it, they were talking about the guest stars that are going They've got a, a good crop of guest stars. Uh, John Stamos, Weirdal Yankovic. Um, um, oh my God, Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. I got his name. Um, (laughs) a lot of folks who have really great comedic timing. Um, and obviously with Weird Al, a great musical talent as well. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how they're going to weave everybody into the story. Because while we know the premise, the general, you know, premise where it's like a fairy tale askew, we really don't know much about what happens after that. So I'm interested to see what's next. Yeah, and you said with the musical talent, you know, with, you know, Weird Al Yankovic and, you know, Ricky Gervais has great comedic timing. Um, You know, they've also got some eye candy going on because, I mean, you know, John Stamos, have mercy. (laughs) um, Anybody who watched Full House, I know you got that. So um, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there. I'm stoked for the show. And Ashley, you made a good point. We don't know anything about what happens after the the premiere. Essentially, nothing. Um, we know basically the the premise of the show and what happens, and that's it. And I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about that because just the fact that the premiere begins with um, the fairy tale going askew means that I have no idea what is going to happen with this story. And I like that. I like the fact that I have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, I, I just think too, it's going to be a fun ride. It looks hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just going it so to be a goofy, fun ride. I don't think it's going to take itself very seriously. I don't think we should take it very seriously. I think it's going to be candy, and I think that's great. I think so, too. I think it's going to be like a, a goofy, funny, I don't think we're going to get into a lot of dark stuff with that. I think it's just going to be straight out Monty Python-esque comedy. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. I I think there is going to be some dark humor because in the promo that, uh, that Ashley and I saw at Comic-Con, at one point, the king is like, you know, just kind of murdering people willy-nilly. So they might, they may take a more parted view on it, but there's going to be some, some stuff happening there. 
definitely. Right. Um, let me see. That's pretty much it for our news bulletin, isn't it? I believe, I believe it, is. it is, Dolly. Yes. That is the end of the news roundup. All right. So let's just let's go ahead and get on into this then, shall we? Okay. The spell of shattered sight has landed in storybooks. Dun dun dun. It's here. It's arrived. No more screwing around. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's come to fruition. It's time. You know, this house is clean. Like somebody calls a lady from Poltergeist. Like, you know, we need some help. So, um, I'm really like overall this episode. You know, there was there was a lot of setup because the spell didn't hit until the very end of the episode. And we don't really know what's going to happen after that. We obviously saw the promo. So we know a little bit about what's going to happen there between Snow White and the Queen, which honestly, I, I'm, I'm so stoked for it. The potential, the possibilities of what's going to happen is great. I also like the fact that, Oh, well, 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 We'll get into that later. We'll get into that at the end of the episode. We'll talk, we'll talk about the promo. There's, there's, one, there's one point in particular I want to make about the promo that I saw something that I like, which is different from what we have seen before with two characters. So um, let's get on into this. So, um, yeah, the episode starts out with the, uh, you know, the Snow Queen is in the forest and she's watching her spell kind of approach and Rumple shows up and, you know, he wants to make a deal and she says no because he doesn't have anything that she wants. But then he says that, you know, everyone, that she'll be immune to the curse. So will Emma, so will Elsa, but so will he. And he will spend the rest of his immortal days trying to rip out her heart unless she makes a deal with him. Well, if somebody was coming at me that way, I'd probably want to make a deal too. So she agrees and she asks him what he wants. And he says that he wants to be able to leave with Belle and Henry and then leave the, the leave everybody else behind. She goes, she tells him to enjoy his trip. Okay. And that was the last time we saw the Snow Queen until the end of the episode. I want to point out, by the way, I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but we only saw her twice in the whole episode. So, and I and honestly, I think there's a reason for that. I think that next week's episode is going to be very Snow Queen heavy. I think Elizabeth Mitchell is going to be there a lot. I think we're going to see. That she's going to be front and center, so I think that it's kind of like a balance. Like this week, we didn't get so much of her because she's going to be one of the main things that we see next week. So, yeah. Which I'm happy about. Oh my god. I just want to see her sauntering through the town, watching everyone like completely shred each other, just being like, "Oh, where are my sisters at?" Oh, you know, sidestepping some like a dwarf throwing a trash can at Granny or something, just like, "Oh, oh my god!" Cousin. I want her to be like giddy and happy about it too. I want her to be like, "Ah," psychotically happy, yes, because yes. she's a psycho. <laughs> that is what I want. I want to see her walking around town with a bag of cats. Yeah. I mean, not really. She is bag of cats. my mind. She is bag of cats crazy, but yeah, that's, that's that's all I'm saying. So yeah, so then you know, okay, so there there are some main points that I want to discuss here. Um, you know, we can kind of break it down. You know, character pairing by character pairing. Um, you know, starting with, I mean, you know, I mean, the main story obviously is the fact that Emma and Elsa are 
you know, running around town the entire episode trying to find out where Anna is and and everything else. I thought that that was really interesting. I really like the fact that Emma has a friend, that she has oh, yeah. somebody to relate to that is, you know, kind of sort of her age. Age and time is such a wibbly-wobbly thing here on the show now. But Indeed. I do like the fact that she has her own, that, you know, they have a friendship, they're kindred spirits, they have their own thing going on. I really enjoy that. Um, I like the fact that what was happening with Elsa, you know, she's, I mean, she's like a, she's basically a reflection, uh, if you will, of Emma, because all she was doing was trying to find her sister. And what does Emma do for a living? She finds people. So I like the the two of them, you know, it kind of, they kind of just paralleled each other. Um, It did take a little, there were some twists and turns that happened with their story too, that I honestly wasn't expecting, particularly at the end. Uh, and where they finally, when they found Anna and where she had been the whole time, threw me through a huge loop. So I loved I it. That coming at all. Oh yeah, wow. no, I was like, when that was revealed, I literally just went what at my TV screen, <laughs> like, yeah. But I, you know, I it made sense. It makes sense. Can we? Are we? Can we talk about that now? Because I just, I, I, it does make sense going when you look back and think about all the things going on with the um with the uh, the season the fact it makes you understand why you can only hear Anna's heartbeat uh via Bo Peep's staff because of the state that she was in and stuff you know i just mm-hmm. yeah, it, it didn't feel like a cop out to me yeah let's let's talk about it now go ahead bring it up <laughs> oh i was just say the fact that they were frozen for 30 years i was like wait i just <laughs> But it, it 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 just made so much sense, and it really gave me pause um, when Hans mentioned um, that Blackbeard was sailing the Jolly Roger. I kind of went, hmm, but then didn't really think about it. I was like, okay. And then it just, it's so, just seeing Anna's guilt, the, her, the horrified look on her face when she realizes that, no, her sister hadn't been trapped in the urn accidentally for like a day. No, she'd been trapped in there for 30 years. And just to see Anna's reaction to that, and, oh, that was that was the part where my heart started breaking and only got worse when they were in that trunk. But I do, like I said, love the fact, sense that she was frozen all the time, and that's why she was unable to be found, and why Bo Peep's staff didn't have a... a good lock on her because she was kind of in a, a transitional state uh, being frozen and all. I love that they were frozen for 30 years and that, I mean, they didn't make a huge, huge deal about it. He mentioned it and then, you know, it was just like, yes, oh, because it fits so much better. I feel like with the whole story that they were frozen for 30 years, because if it had just been, you know, if they had tried to explain it away any other way or if other things had happened, I just don't know if they could have written the outcome as well. I thought it was fantastic that they did that, and I didn't see it coming either. I didn't see it coming either. I was really, truly surprised. Um, I, I, you know, And honestly, what it reminded me of, too, is um, <clears throat> in Broken when we first joined Philip and Aurora and Mulan and that whole storyline is going on 
And then at the end, when we get the reveal that it was happening concurrently with what was happening in Storybrooke, you know, all of that stuff, uh, it, it, that's what it reminded me of. But it, it got me. Jane Espenson got me with that one. I, I really didn't think that they had been frozen the entire time um, that everything had been going on, that, that Ingrid had left them that way for 30 years. That was that was, and cold, that, that was yeah, and the reason why I liked it is because I didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was part of the enjoyment was having something happen where you're, where you know I mean the the big question of where is Anna, you know, was finally answered because I mean truly I thought that that uh, the Snow Queen had Anna imprisoned in the little miniature ice palace that she had created yeah. back at the Rocky Road, or maybe she had enchanted her into the mirror. So, um, and at one point, maybe I thought Elsa would come, you know, face to face with the mirror and she would see Anna looking back at her instead. And Anna would be the one who would be, you know, berating her and giving her a hard time. So when she, yeah, can you imagine that? So when she was revealed to be in Arendelle the whole time and then, you know, Elsa wishes on her necklace and brings her forward to Storybrooke and, you know, all that stuff, I was just like, whoa. Like thirty years, and also too, Ashley, you you mentioned this too, and I just want to make sure that we point this out. We now have an answer to who Hook traded the Jolly Roger to in order to get the magic bean to go save Emma in season three. It was Blackbeard. Yes, and I'm glad we got to see Blackbeard again. I would be happy if he comes in as one of you know the influx of villains we're getting. I love the fact, probably my favorite thing about him is that he is dressed like the animated Disney version of Hook. And he's not Hook, he's Blackbeard. I love that. That is like my favorite thing about him. I agree. And he really brought the sass this episode too. Like I really, I like seeing more of him and I could see him fitting in very well. Kind of, I don't want to say taking Hook's place, but kind of, yes, taking Hook's place in the whole villain gallery of rogues, you know, when they're sitting around the poker table, I could, I very clearly can see uh, Blackbeard sitting in between Corella and uh, Maleficent now that you mentioned yeah. it. Hitting yeah, now that you, yeah, you said that, I totally want Blackbeard to end up there with them. I don't know how he would at this point, but I would Well, he has that. a Jelly Roger. He has a Jelly Roger, and... Hans made a point to um, say that it was an enchanted ship. I mean, considering the use of Pegasus sails and beams and mirrors and potions and lotions, I'm sure there's a way that he could come sailing in as well. (laughs) Somebody get the magic lotion. Put the lotion in the basket. Um, What do you think Blue was doing at Granny's Diner? She she was making magical lotions there. (laughs) A blue, she's a kinky one. I still don't know how I feel about her, even after the events of this episode. Oh, blue. Oh, blue. Oh, blue. Well, and, it, and it's an interesting thing for me because you, jumping around, I don't want to derail us too much, but now that I'm thinking about it, jumping to Rumpel's current skullduggery, um, because he wanted, and I don't know why he didn't do this at first. I guess he just didn't decide it was easy enough to round up all the fairies. 
But as we saw in the episode, he um oh, sorry. Um he uh <laughs> decided that it would be a better chance instead of trying to trap Emma in the hat to trap uh all Dustbuster all the fairies up. So um since they're all kind of working on a on a cure, a counter curse in Granny's diner, that that was his best chance to get them in all one felt swoop. Um, but he has to get Belle out of there in the first place <clears throat> because she's helping the fairies with her mad researching skills. So as soon as he steps in the diner, though, I know it's blue, like you know, kind of zeroed in on him, and she she seemed. I don't think it was just a matter of dark magic versus light magic. She really seemed like she didn't want him there. And I, maybe this is just my whole, I think the blue sherry, blue sherry, I'll have a blue sherry. I think the blue fairy is shady as all get out. Um, But uh, I really think that she didn't, like, she, she had other things going on. I always think that she has other things going on because she's she always pops up with like an insecure and it's like I just don't know like oh it's because she's working with Manstead about with the book like she's in on the whole book plot and I swear she is like that's how she always has like all these magical you know all these lovely cures like you know it's like. like and like you, what you were saying when she was playing, you know, Johnson and Johnson making the magic, uh, the magic lotion, um, like she, she's, she's in on it. She always has like the, she always has the magic fix it um, solution. Only this time there was nothing to stop her from getting all, you know, sucked up into the hat. Like there was, there was well, just, there was, yeah. And here's the thing: I don't think she's dead. I, I, not, I don't for a minute think that anybody dies when they go in the hat. I know some people were like, "Oh, the blue fairy's dead again." It's like I am not in that. There's too much going on with the black fairy, Maleficent, and you know, Sleeping Beauty happening in season four B for them to get rid of all the fairies. Um, I, I don't. I think when the when everyone gets vomited back out of the hat and we see our villains, as per the current uh, theory. Um, I don't know. Like, I think we're going to see the fairies again as well. I agree. I don't think uh, the hat's going to swallow everybody up. I think everybody's going to be just spit right back out of that. No, we're going to see the fairies again for sure. Um, they're just going to come. I mean, really, the what I think is going to end up happening is that you know, Rumple is going to end up being either forced or maybe he'll have a conscience, you know, like a, a crisis of faith or a, an attack of his conscience or something. But what's mm-hmm. going to end up happening is he's going to have to release everybody who's in the hat. And the fairies are all going to come out. The apprentice is going to come out. And so are all the villains. That's what they, they're just, they're just going to come flooding out of there. So I wonder. Um, one, I was going to say, I wonder if something's going to happen to overload the magic of the hat and, and cause the magical reverse. Because I think oh, if, if Rumpel's aligning himself with the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if he puts too much in and it's like, like his one, Robert Carlyle once called it a supercomputer of magic. So if it's like, okay, danger overload, like danger Will Robinson, like you put too much in, like it's just going to explode and let everybody out. Oh, yeah, I like that. 
that's what I'm thinking. And then, and then obviously everyone will be let out, including the villains. Do you think Maleficent is in the hat, or do you think she's skulking around town somewhere just biding her time? Because I don't know how to feel about that. I think that I could see her getting sucked up in the hat and being rejuvenated, but since we haven't seen that, if we if we don't see that then soon, then I would think that maybe when the hat goes kablooey, all the magic being released um, could rejuvenate. Because she's running around underground as that Halloween decoration right now, right? Um, so I'm wondering <laughs> if lots of magic could be enough to kind of bring her back from the brink. Um, it you know it could also be a matter of her being reunited with her wand because I think she's the black fairy. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and they kept hinting at the black fairy. Uh, what was it, season three? So I'm wondering if all this errant magic flying about has any effect on her. So maybe she is getting stronger and biding her time and waiting for revenge. Yeah, that's my big question is where is she? Because she's not, I, I assume, she's not down in the cave this time stuck as a dragon. So where exactly is she? Like, where are you, Mistress of All Evil? Like, are you hanging out with the Horn King? Are you hanging out with Jafar? Are you hanging out with Cruella and Ursula right now? Are you stuck in the hat? Are you guys partying it up? Is it like 1999? Is Prince playing? Like, <laughs> What's happening here? Like the half the giant club is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it looks like one. I mean, it might as well. I mean, it looks like it's got a disco ball going on in there, so it doesn't look like it's that bad of a place to be. Um, so you know, I mean, you know, yeah, they're playing 1999. You know, when does cry? You know, got all that action going. A little turn down for what, perhaps? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just you know, all, yeah, turn down for what? Turn down for the hat, ladies. Um, so yeah, like I'm just saying, like I I really wonder where they're at, how they're gonna be revealed, what their like what what will their plan be? Um, you know, what like what's gonna happen when they when they're free or they're running around Storybrooke and suddenly, you know, like the heroes all have to face off against them. Because as Regina pointed out, and it was one of the lines that I loved, um, they're not just heroes they're leaders and they have to make you know the, the they have to you know make some tough calls as far as who lives and who dies and that kind of a thing and that actually leads us to our weekly reflection segment and that's what it's actually going to be about because when regina mentioned that it was of course in reference to the fact that either they could save anna with the necklace or they could save the entire town and it was going to obviously require a huge level of sacrifice from Elsa in order to save everybody else. And, you know, that's a really interesting thing to, you know, to think about when you are in a position of power in that way, um, you know, what kind of call you're going to make. Um, even if you're not in a position of power like that, even if it's, on a, you know, on a smaller scale perhaps, you know, that kind of decision is, is not an easy one, you know, to have to decide. You know, um, and that that question also shows itself, you know, in many different forms, like, you know, uh, 
you know, if you're not happy with your job and you want to find a different one, what do you do? Um, you know, do you sacrifice your stability for, you know, the greater good of the greater good of your soul because you're just not happy? You know, if you're in a relationship and you find yourself more interested in somebody else, you know, like do you sacrifice what you have for, you know, maybe is the grass greener on the other side? Like, you know, lots of variations of that question. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't, honestly, for myself, I, I, I mean, I probably would have made the same call that Snow and Charming would have, really. I mean, there, there wouldn't be any other choice here. I mean, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Thank you, Spock. So, you know, I think, I mean, in that case, it was very clear, but it also, I mean, I can't imagine having to make that decision. Ashley, what about you? I mean, I, I, looking at it from Elsa's point of view, I understand why she made her decision because she understands what's at stake for the town. And though she's made new friends in the Charmings and uh, mostly Emma, um, I mean, the Charmings welcomed her into their home. She's still an outsider and she's still her closest, her rock the person that keeps her stable and sane, Anna, there's still a sliver of hope for her to save her. So looking at it from her point of view, I understand why she did what she did. I don't have to like it because I was, I when, when uh, Emma took the Tiffany's bag back and she didn't look in it, I was like, oh, don't. Don't and then Elsa was shown going down the in the um, elevator. I was like, because I'm, I, you know, I I personally have a closer tie to the the Storybrookians. Is that the correct? Uh, <laughs> I think that's the correct term. Yeah. But um, but yes, I I I personally have a closer tie to Storybrooke than I do to Elsa and Anna as a viewer. So that's why I was frustrated. I understand where Elsa was coming from because she was thinking of her family and while at the same time, you know, Snow Charming, Regina, and all the rest on Gilligan's Island were thinking of their family. So it it was kind of, and I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for Elsa to make herself um, because of the kindness that she was shown and the acceptance above all that she saw, especially with Emma, because she's basically betraying her like new best friend. I mean, it's, it's just so hard to think about because if you think about it from both point of views, you really, you can't, it, you can't choose. Yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah. I feel like watching it as a viewer I mean, like you said, we have a tie to the Storybrookians. We've been watching since the beginning. So it's kind of easy to watch Elsa make this choice and be like, damn it, woman. But just thinking about it in general, I mean, honestly, yeah, it's a show. But if you say, you know, if you were in that position, if it was like my son or these townspeople I've known for, you know, a week and a half, there's no question in my mind I, I, I could not be the Spock Kirk, you know, hero, I, it would be all about my son. So I, when I look at it like that, like I can totally understand uh, Elsa's point of view. Yeah, but what if it was between your son and your husband? Ooh. Okay, devil's advocate. Yeah. 
I, 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 uh, I would, in that case, uh, I would rig the Kobayashi Maru so that there is a way to win. <laughs> Can that be my answer? I don't believe in no yep. win situation. <laughs> Always with the Star Trek with you two. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, um, that's a really well, that, hard I mean, to that's say. An interesting, well, that's an interesting point, though, that you bring up, uh, Amy, is that going for the third option, um, because that's kind of what Emma tried to do after after they found out that Elsa had taken the necklace. She's like, no, I'm going to go find Anna and bring her back you know, I'm going to try. I have to try something because it's better than doing nothing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that particular scene had some great lines in it too, by the way. Um, I especially liked when they were looking at the map and, or the schematic rather. And Regina says, you know, a good mayor checks to make sure these things are in order. And Snow goes, yeah, well, when the mayor only has to deal with one villain and it's herself and leaves a lot of spare time for um, for infrastructure. Uh, you know, I've had other issues. Um, <laughs> that that cracked, that cracked me up. Um, and then because the I other thing that, that was awesome, the other thing that was awesome was, um, did you see the look on Regina's face? When, yes. Like when she just got it, it looks at her like, "Hey, like that was that was hilarious to me. I loved it. I thought it was fun." Well, also, also when uh, when Regina was kind of sassing Snow, there she's like, "What are you going to give a hope speech?" And Snow's like, "Nope, Elsa, screw this over." And Regina's kind of looking at her like, "Oh, it's serious because <laughs> you, Miss Queen of the Hope Commission, said it. You know, that's just." And I think it's it's interesting because it also that sh- kind of shows how our characters, you know, it, it goes all the way back to the we are both because it, you know, these characters I think are meshing more and more into both their story book and their story book uh-huh, personas <laughs> in that Snow White would just be like hope and twittery birds, I think, and in 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 like more what we saw at the beginning of season three, which is that we have to hope that there's nothing else. But I think through all of her experiences, she's becoming more of um, a realist, and she's realizing that these harder choices that she has to make, you know, and the consequences she has to deal with, I don't want to say it makes her more cynical, but it makes her more realistic. Like I think hope is always going to be her go-to, her go-to, um, I just found it interesting that they, they, maybe if it was even just for the sake of comedy that line was in there, I still find it interesting that it was included because it also, I think, is going to paint an interesting picture when, you know, since the curse actually hits and we're going to see some major stuff go down. Are you talking about next week with uh, the Shattered Sight now? I, I am. I'm actually, I want to say really quick about the Shattered Sight curse. This is one of the first times I think where we've seen a curse put on by a villain actually hit, isn't it? Like, we've always had threats of curses before, but the town has always been saved in the ta nick of time. The villain kind of won here. And I find that very interesting because now we, next week, I know I complained a, a bit that this episode was a lot of setup, 
but I actually am kind of grateful for it because next week we're going to have an entire episode devoted to the Storybrookians actually dealing with a curse for, well, not to say for once, besides the original dark curse, but dealing with this new curse for once. I think that's going to be really interesting. And I think what we're going to see from the characters is that's just going to be fun. I That last scene, if that last, that very last shot is anything to go by, that was my favorite. Oh, the, the last five minutes were my favorite thing in the entire episode. Just the shots of everyone waiting for the change to happen. And then, I mean, if you guys, I, you guys can take it from here, but that last shot with Snow and Charming, I just, ooh, that was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I got to, I've, I've got, I've, I, yeah, I've got to take it over here because mm. that, that whole situation for, okay. First of all, there were a lot of shots that I liked, but one of my favorite things about this curse and you, and you are right when you said that we haven't actually seen a curse hit before. I mean, we saw the dark curse kind of, you know, come along. Um, mm-hmm. But we only really saw it from the castle point of view. We didn't see everybody running and scrambling and, you know, trying to make a break for it. Like they were, I mean, we saw it at the castle and that was it. Um, you know, we, and then the next curse that we saw was, you know, Pan's curse, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Coming to, you know, just take, you know, destroy their lives, basically. And instead, oh, wait, Regina- wait, wait, wait. No, the, the next thing that was threatening the town was the fail-safe curse with the diamond in season two with Greg and Tamar. Right, right. Well, that that was more – I wouldn't consider that a curse. That was just general, like, nuclear destruction, basically, like, on a magic okay. level. Like, oh. All right. I wouldn't consider – like, it wasn't a curse. They were all just going to be destroyed, and that was it. Like, that's not so much a curse. It's just, like, finality. So um, the next curse that we saw was when, you know, Pan's curse was coming, and then Regina stopped it and sent, took them all back to the Enchanted Forest – and what's so funny, too, is that if you watch Going Home and then New York City Serenade, like, immediately back-to-back, and you skip over the stuff with Emma and Hook in New York, like, you, like if you go right from the scene where Emma and Henry are driving away and the curse comes and then the town line fades, you know, and then it goes to black, if you go right from that moment to the beginning of the next episode when the cloud is coming in, it's so surreal to watch it and realize that, like it literally like they were just there and happening. It's so strange. I almost want to edit it together and you know, like kinda of get the episodes and edit it together and, and make my own cut of it. I think that'd be fun. But um it's it's bizarre to watch that. It's kind of like when you if you watch the pilot and then you watch Welcome to Storybrook back to back. Yeah. It's it's really weird to like to watch the events like it happens so sequentially like that. Because it's normally mm-hmm. played so out like it's really bizarre. But so after Pan's curse came, then we had the Charming curse come, and we and again we only saw that from the viewpoint of Charming, Snow, and Regina as well. We didn't like see everybody running for it. So this is the first time you're right that we've ever actually seen a curse taking effect and hitting everybody all at once. And the thing that I like about this one is that even though yeah okay it's purple. I love that every single shot of that spell includes the glitter of the glass. Oh, yeah. I thought look, it it really it stands out to me. Like, and it, it was it was a purpley blue. And I feel like it was a lot darker than the other curses. Like, it looked like a storm was really literally brewing above the town. 
Yeah, um, it especially in the later shots. Color. It had a lot of gray tones to it, I think. More more gray than purple is what I want to say. Yeah, um, I thought it was beautiful. I kept saying that all night. I was like, this is visually, like, I mean, I know we've seen, like, the smoke of the curses before, but the fact, just like you said, that you can see the shimmering of the mirror and the glass in it, you know, so tiny, but it's there. Visually, I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, yeah, and, you know, the other thing that I like, too, the one there are a couple shots that I love, um, particularly the special effects shots, but my favorite one is that shot at the end when it just starts coming down like rain, like right yeah. over Main Street and clock towers there, and it just starts falling. It looks mm-hmm. so – because here's the thing. Even though it was a curse, it looks beautiful. It yeah. didn't look Beautiful scary. and deadly. It was really pretty. And that's what got me. I was like, wow, this is like the most beautiful curse I've ever seen go destroy everybody's lives. And then, you know, when they're all <laughs> – when they're hiding in the, you know, in the in the sheriff station, and Emma is covering Neil, Elsa is covering her eyes, Anna is looking at Kristoff, Snow and Charming are looking at each other, they're holding hands. Like, you see that actually take effect as it starts coming in through the air vent, just the glass, and then it goes into their eyes. And that one shot where Snow's eyes, like, it, you know, cracked like glass. Mm. Oh. That was fantastic. And then seeing, you know, and seeing the reverse shot of that with Charming and how he had broken, you know, shattered sight and then it kind of faded away. And then they looked at each other with just this look of hate in their eyes. It was like Kirk looking at a Klingon. Like, it was just so, like, that she that was a look of death. Like, when I saw that look, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Like, <laughs> like, like Charming said, no spell could ever come between two heart, you know, one heart. I was like, oh, I think this one might might just do that, sir. Yeah. I think I think I think Jennifer wins with the look though. Like Charming did have that look of just like mistrust and hatred, but Jennifer Goodwin had the the daggers quite literally coming out of her eyes. Like that was. I think that rivaled when she took the uh, the forgetting potion. She kind of was like, meh, charming, whatever. Like, she looked oh, like she hated him. And I believe, like, and then the best part is, is that there was no dialogue and the music cut out a second before the screen went black. So all yeah. you're left with is Snow White, you know, semi, I, I say semi-pure because that black spot in her heart. But, you know, like, the, the heroines and... Like, it's the twittering birds and songs and stuff, like, looking like she's about to cut everyone in the room. Yeah. That's and they were how you hands. Know. I was like, oh. oh. I felt like that was yeah. probably the most powerful scene, or one of them, one of the most powerful scenes in the episode. It it really was. And I like the fact that you mentioned the fact that the music caught. I, did I really just say that twice? I like the fact that you mentioned the fact. Oh, my God. So I like that you mentioned that the, I like that you mentioned that the music cut off just a second before it goes black because normally what happens is you know the when you put music in a scene you know you are building some emotion there and a lot of times it'll go from like you know like the music will kind of fade to the background and it'll still be present in a lot of scenes but it'll it's not emphasized because you're listening to the dialogue more and it's more like background noise in this case since there was no dialogue and the music is swelling, and then it just cuts off, and then there's still action going on, you're you're left 
with the emotional impact of what you've just seen. Like it's, it, it provides a different punch, if you will. And this one was, I mean, pretty extreme. Um, uh-huh. You are correct when you say that this was different from when she had the heart of darkness and she just took the forgetting potion and she didn't really care. That was more nonchalant. Who is this guy? I don't remember you. The look that she had on her face, this one was just a look of, I despise you. Like, pure, I mean, yeah, just, I don't, I don't even know the word, but it was, it really was a look of, you know, there was no love there, like, there anymore. It was just gone. And it made uh-huh. me think of two, number one, it made me think to myself, Josh Dallas, you never better, you, I hope you never piss her off in real life, because if you ever get in a fight with your wife and she looks at you like that, oh, I feel bad for you. And number two, um, it made me think of when, Emma was interrogating the Snow Queen. That and look, she looked yes, it's the exact same look. And she, said, and she said, they love me. Like, I was like, oh, like mother, like daughter. Like, look at that. That's mm-hmm. now where she gets it from because we've never seen Snow White behave that way. But I need a side-by-side of those two pictures now that you mention it because that, that, now you, like, I didn't realize that that was the look, but that was the look. Ooh. Yeah, it's a look. I'm on it, by the way. Um, so, yeah, there, that scene was really powerful. And the other scene that I thought was extremely powerful at the end of this episode was when Emma comes in and Kristoff and, you know, Charming have their whole introductions and they're talking to Anna about all their stuff and, you know. About all their haircuts. All, all that goodness. Okay, all that goodness. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> um, was when Emma's asking, what's the plan? And Snow and Charming just kind of look at each other with this, I mean, it's a look of resolution. They know what they have to do, but you know they don't want to. And, you know, she says that, you know, they're going to lock themselves in the in the cells and, you know, Emma doesn't want to, but she does it anyway. And her parents are telling her how much that they have faith in her and that she's going to save the day again and that they don't fear her magic and, really making up for the crappy way that they treated her early in the season. You know, there was all that. But then, but then, when Snow handed Emma the baby. Oh. Mm. Heart squeaky. There were so many emotional layers tied into that scene. It was like when Snow had to give up Emma, and now she's giving up her baby to Emma. It was, um, it was, you know, called. It harkened back to when Emma had to give up Henry, and she didn't hold him, and now this time she's holding the baby. We have never seen Emma hold the baby before, by the way. She, it may have happened off screen, but Emma has not held the baby yet in the entire season. So she's holding him. It harkened back to earlier in the season when Archie told Snow that she needs to let go of Neil and not be so afraid of having him by her side, All you know, like so worried that she has him by her side all the time and now she's having to let him go because there's a curse coming, which also plays into the whole thing with Frozen and let it go. Um, you know, it's just so, so many emotional layers and such. And when, oh, and when Elsa brings the baby, first of all, when Emma said, you hold my brother and her voice is like cracking. I was like, Oh, somebody give this girl a hug. And then secondly, 
but she gives the baby to Elsa, and Elsa brings the baby over to Snow in the cell, and Snow puts her hand on Neil's head and then starts to cry. Oh, my, oh, oh, oh. It was too yeah. much. It was too much. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine, like, and really, you know what else that highlighted, too, for me? Is the fact that this same tragedy keeps befalling this family so many times, yeah. and they're supposed to be the couple who has like their happy ending, and they've had like it's kind of like what Emma said in season three. Ever since they woke up from the curse and remembered that they're Snow White and Prince Charming, their lives have really sucked. Like, <laughs> like their lives are almost harder here than they ever were in the Enchanted Forest. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's yeah. so sad. And I was like, when I was thinking that and I thought it was coming, I, I I thought to myself, can these people just have their happy ending already for crying out loud? Like, yeah. can they just have some peace back in season for one day? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, it reminded me of back in season one when, you know, Snow had raided the castle to find her charming and it turned out he wasn't there, but she could see him in the mirror, and he was talking about how they would always find each other, and she was like, but are we always going to have to look? You know, is it is there ever going to be a time where we don't have to constantly keep, you know, going through this? That's what I thought of, and then she thought, like, oh, when she handed Emma the baby, I was like, oh, sniff, sniff. But just the last, the last ten minutes of that episode, I mean, even going back further in the episode when um, Anna and Kristoff were in the trunk, like what really got me was, you know, Anna, Anna like lost all hope and she just wouldn't look at Kristoff. She wouldn't fight to free herself. And then she suddenly starts saying her vows. And I was like, oh, oh, sweetheart. No, please don't yeah. do that. Like I really Aww. thought she was kind of a goner there for a minute because it was just such an, a, it was so emotional. Like, and that's the thing is, like, the I, I, okay. I liked Frozen. I'm not Gaga for Frozen. I mm-hmm. like Anna. I find her a bit much at times, but I think that the actress really, really stands out to me. Um, I mean, I think she has yeah. Anna movie Anna spot on, but I think where she really, really shines is when she deviates away from that a bit, like when she plays Dark Anna. Or when she in in this scene where she's she's literally drowning in despair and and water and just she just so like her voice is cracking and she's saying those vows and I'm just like wow you know and and from that point on like granted you had the reunion of the sisters but like from that point on it was just an emotional roller coaster with everything that was happening with the charmings and the end of the episode so it this was that's this, this that was a, a, an emotional scene because Anna has all, I mean, no matter what has happened, I mean, aside from the Frozen movie and just in this arc of one, she's always perpetually hopeful. She always is, it was all about the bright side. There's always a way. There are no, you know, non-winnable situations. You know, there there's nothing that they can't overcome. And then, you know, that she just suddenly she has no hope. So that was like a big. I felt like that scene, just like you said, that was that had a huge emotional impact. Yeah, when the when the hopeful become the hopeless, it's really. I mean, it's too that's much. That's when you know you're like, in trouble. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. That's when you know that, you know, there something is wrong. Like something is really wrong. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it was it was just oh. And I you know what, Ashley, to your point, Elizabeth Lale, like I have never seen first of all, there there are very few times when a live when, you know, a, an animated movie gets translated into live action. It's a it's a very rare occurrence. It doesn't happen very often. It's happening more now, but it's it's not been a common occurrence. And and maybe that's and maybe that's what makes this stand out to me more, but I have never seen an actor, an actress, embody an animated character so completely in anything that I've ever seen before. Elizabeth Lale this she is Anna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She I now understand when like when I've seen reviews of something online, you know, if people are talking about something and, you know, they say like, you know, like Meryl Streep is, you know, insert every Meryl Streep role she's ever done because, you know, it's Meryl Batman. Streep. Batman. Um, Batman. Yes, oh, Batman. Batman. Yes, Meryl Streep is Batman. Yes, Meryl Streep is Batman. Yeah, like there's, there is, you know, I mean, uh, she's so good. She she has captured not only her body language, but she's also captured like her her speech patterns, like everything, everything. This girl is a newcomer too. Exactly. Yes, we're gonna see her do some amazing work. This is her first role. This is her first role out of college. She's gonna. She's gonna. Wow. Wow. All the props. If you're listening, girl, all the props. Veronica Collins Rooney just kills it every time. She's the head of the casting department, and she keeps finding over and over again these people that are just phenomenal, and I can't imagine the casting process, because you know there's got to be tons and tons of people they have to go through and look through, and they manage to find the, you know, these spot-on actors and actresses. It's just Veronica's amazing. Yeah, we love you. We don't casting wizards for nothing, but... Um, the other thing, okay, so let's see, so there were those scenes um, the scene with Regina and Robin Hood after she locks Henry in her office. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, and he's like, I'm not afraid of you. And she goes, but you really, really should be. We're going to see well, that next week. Like, I, was, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> um, I have to say, <laughs> getting to that in a minute, I have to say I really like how Regina isn't, like, she... She always kind of has owned the evil queen persona, but at this, it's it's not a matter of that. It's a matter that she knows that it's dangerous. She knows what she can do, and it concerns her. So that's why she's locking herself away to protect the town. And I like that for that mm-hmm. for the character. Yeah, I feel like that's huge character growth for Regina, and you know she's. But kind of both the Regina Evil Queen from where she was in season one all the way to now that she actually gives a damn about the fact that it's not just Robin, it's the entire town. Because, 
you know, in the beginning when it, she was just evil, you know, and she, you know, she really just had Henry, pretty much anybody else was just fair game. So, you know, it, it's just really, she's thinking locking herself away and she's going to not hurt anyone by doing this. So I thought that was a really big deal for her. And she looks amazing, oh, my God, in the outfit from the promos for next week, can I just say. Can we – oh, man. I love okay, that yeah. she takes the time to evil clean up for, these, for this, too. She's like, if I'm going to go big, go big or go home. And she's yeah. just like, no, I'm going to get the herded, going to come out. Well, I imagine her getting hit by the curse and then looking in one of her mirrors and being like, what the hell am I wearing? And then, poof. Getting her evil her, like, wardrobe back on. I was gonna say she's got all those trunks and like all of her secret evil queen Christmas tree dress room from season two down there. So she's probably. I would actually love it if we got a scene of her looking in the mirror, smiling evilly, and then like opening up her evil queen wardrobe, like for her evil queen selection to just evil queen it up. Yes. Which one of these says evil? But, <laughs> and then, evil. And then after she's done being her evil queen and looking in her evil wardrobe or her evil closet and putting on her evil dress and she'll go into the evil kitchen and she will do some evil <laughs> baking with some evil dapple turnovers and some evil lasagna. So, yeah. But only one lasagna. turnover? <laughs> the biggest turnover ever. Yes. <laughs> no, I do. I am, I am so excited to see what this curse is going to do. I know I keep saying it, but I really am because of how far these characters have come. Like, I don't see it as a regression. I just see all these things that they've kind of worked past. What's still bothering them? It's kind of like that scene from season three when they're in the Echo Cave and they're telling their deepest, darkest secrets. Like, the fact that Snow White was still so broken up about not experiencing motherhood with a baby. It's going to be like that, I think. And I'm excited to see what... I get. I don't want to say dirty laundry, but like what grievances everyone kind of has. And also, I just want to point out everyone's talking about chaining themselves to like trees and at the dock and locking away. Could you imagine if Storybook was a real town that people could go through, and you're just like cruising <laughs> through, and you saw like dwarves tied to trees and like like a woman, an old lady with a crossbow, like chaining herself to the lamppost outside of her diner? You know, like could you? Because that's the only thing I could think of at that moment, in the moment of all the seriousness. I was like, that's kind of weird. But <laughs> Well, my thing, too, is that, okay, this makes you see only the bad, but, like, how horrible can – somebody was asking in the chat room, like, what is, uh, what, what is Charming doing? Like, I mean, are Snow's grievances going to be – is it that even the small grievances make you want to kill somebody? Like, oops, Charming leaves the seat up. and Or, you know, I, is it only the major things? Because, I mean, this I can't imagine having enough grievances with someone that even if that's all I could see about them, I would want to kill them. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be some serious stuff. And that's the interesting thing, I think, um, that is, are we just going to see them squabbling over petty things, or are we going to see more of what um, Belle was seeing in herself in the mirror where it's deepest, darkest secrets? I would love it for it to be a mix of both, actually. Uh. Here's how I see, here's, okay, here's what I'm wondering, right? 
everybody is expecting from the fact that they stop holding hands and they're looking at each other so evilly, everyone is expecting that Snow and Charming are going to rip into each other. However, from the promo, there is one shot where they're both moving away from the wall and they're both kind of smiling. What if this spell, since they do share a heart, what if they're not capable of looking at each other that way, but what if they just start going to town on everybody else together like the evil version of, like, the evil power couple? Ooh, oh, my God. I like that. I do, too. Like, the evil Wonder Twins. Exactly. That would be fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if they're just, if they're just, you know, like, giving, like, looking at each other and agreeing with each other and just, like, tear, like, and here's going to be the sad thing, though, okay? Here's something that I think people are kind of forgetting, too. The spell just hit, and Emma is still in the room. Oh, so, wow. If And after Snow just said, we don't fear your magic and all that stuff and kind of, you know, gave Emma an aura fluff to make her feel mm-hmm. better, imagine what will happen if they start ripping into their daughter now. Mm. Oh, that's not going to be good. It's going to be really tragic. So, I mean... I wonder what, um, well, because, okay, so we know Rumpel isn't going to be, or he's not affected, but I'm actually, I wonder if... Bella's going to go all lacy. I mean, I wonder what Robin Hood and Will Scarlet are going to be like. I wonder what Hook's going to be like. Like, Because in the promo, we see Hook going into the mayor's office. What is he doing there? You know, there's just so yeah. many questions yeah. for next time. I, I really, I don't have a lot to, like, I can't predict what's going to happen because I think this this spell is making everyone so unpredictable. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I imagine carnage in the streets and everything, but I think what Zach said, oh, my God, if that's the case with Snow and Charming, like, even though Emma's not affected and she knows they're under the curse, like, hearing your parents say things that are horrible to you, like, even if she knows they're under a curse, if that ends up being the case, like, she may, like, everything will be fine in the end. But she's always going to have that, like, in her heart, you know. That's not something you just get over. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Henry's going to be like or what he's going Because here's the thing that's interesting. Henry, aside from what he perceived Regina to be um, when he was younger and what he saw in the storybook, he's never actually seen Regina in person full-on evil queen. I wonder how no. that's I hope they have a scene together. I hope that there's a scene where she goes to the mayor's office intent on taking back her chair and she runs into Henry. And if she starts to give him, like if she starts tearing into him, can you imagine like what he's going to be able to say to her? And then when the curse is broken, what that relationship would be like afterwards. You see, there's so much, there's so many interesting things that could happen from this curse. I'm, I'm just, I can't go well, over how excited I'm to finally see it. Here's the, other, here's the other thing that I thought of, too. Everyone's expecting this curse to be broken by, you know, the end of the, you know, like in the next two weeks, because next week we'll see what it's all about, and then everyone is expecting it to be broken and everything. But what if, just what if, the finale being called Heroes and Villains, 
is suddenly turned on its head. And what if all those villains that are now in town, like what if Rumple? I'm literally just having this idea right now as I'm speaking. What if Rumple gets all the villains together because they can't break the shattered site? And all the heroes have suddenly become villains to each other. What if Rumple gets all the villains together and are like, okay, look, we have to save these people from themselves? Well, you would do it, I think, because he wouldn't be able to get out of town. So, I mean, he wouldn't. So, that's, I think it's very conceivable of him rallying the troops, so to speak, you know, be, being the lesser of two evils in that situation. That would be very oh my interesting. God. Yes, what if the villains, like, are the ones who are least affected, so they have to kind of be the heroes and save the rest of the town from this curse? Oh, my God, I love it. And that's why it's called Heroes and Villains, because the heroes have become the villains, and the villains are now the heroes. I just want all the villains. So I good. just said, so basically, you're just, we're just going to see, like, so much just, like, sass and wickedness. If that's the case, and wardrobe, fabulous and wardrobe, oh and my wardrobe, God. and cleavage, just, there will be cleavage for days. Indeed. Well, and you know, I, 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 I do get good cleavage. Well, we spent the first half of the season watching the Snow Queen and her snow globes, so you know. Oh, I mean, yeah, all right. <laughs> Team Snow Globe. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, I'm so excited for... Yeah, I'm so so excited. Like, you know, maybe Khan will be come running out of there, you know, like Benedict Cumberbatch or, you know... (laughs) uh, Yeah, like the Borg Queen, Alice Creech comes out. You know, we've got some Darth Vader action going on. Loki appears too, like, you know, just everybody. Ooh, you know what it makes me think of? You know what it makes me think of? I wonder if and I don't know if we'll even see these characters or not, but like I wonder what Doctor Whale would be like as a villain. Like would he create a monster? Are uh, there vampires? Is Ruby or what would would Ruby like just be a wolf? Would she just be like she would be ooh. Oh my gosh, can you imagine what Ruby would be like under the Shattered Sight curse? Oh. Can we please get Megan Ori back on the show? Oh, my God. Yes, can we get, like, a her and Granny going at it next week? Just, oh, I want to see Can you imagine just, I'm thinking this, can you imagine just, like, the spiteful booby trappery that people would do, too, (laughs) like, in this, like, to, you know, kind of protect their home base? Like, could you see Granny's, like, fortified with Granny on the roof, like, the next one goes between your eyes? Or, like, the yeah. dwarves, like, with their picks just, like, w- rolling down the streets like some gang. Yeah. There's just, there's so much potential for what's going to happen. I just, I, I. So, I, so you're saying they'd be walking down the street like the dwarves of anarchy? Ha, 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, can you imagine, like, what it would be like to see, like, oh, and, and you know what, I'm glad that you mentioned that because something in the promo made me think about this. Oh, we still need to discuss that that fight scene between Snow and Regina, too. We only have three minutes left. Okay. So, first of all, when when Hook is going into Regina's office, he trips over Henry's marbles. And so I'm wondering, did Henry do that after the curse hit and he's being a little brat, or did he do that beforehand to stop anybody from coming in there to, like, trip him up? Okay, Good so that's, question. That's, 
That's my first question. Second of all, Snow and Regina fighting. Okay. So can we all just can we all just sit back and relish the possibility? Let's say that I'm wrong and Charming and Snow do turn against each other. Or let's say that they don't. In either case. Can we all relish the possibility of when they're fighting of Charming saying to either Snow or Regina, fillet the bitch. Can we all? Oh, yes. Especially, <laughs> especially if he were to use it, if he were to say that to Regina about Snow White, can you imagine? Oh, my God. I, 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 I've run out of things to say because that would just be, like, fantastic. The amount of callbacks that we could potentially get with this, oh, this just, yes. Yeah. Actually, good. one quick thought. I wonder how Archie's going to be affected by the curse, if we're going to see that, because oh, cool. he is the town's conscience. Mm. See, this is why I don't want them to break the Shattered Sight curse immediately. I kind of want it to stretch on to the second half of the season because then we would get a chance to see this all play out. I know. I don't want so them to break fabulous. it right. Really don't. Um, so, yeah, that fight between um, between Snow and Regina, first of all, I would also love it if Snow looked at Regina and was like, I will destroy your happiness if it's the last thing I do. And then they just go for it. Like, yeah. That. That would be um, fabulous. And, and also, too, Regina's dress with the huge, like, shoulder stabby poofs. Okay. <laughs> Yes, the Dynasty uh, Evil Queen. So that, that's so funny. That is exactly what this is going to be like. It's going to be like Dynasty, especially when Snow White is throwing Regina through a glass door, okay? And that was the point that I wanted to talk about earlier is the fact that normally whenever they have a fight, Regina gets the upper hand. Like, even when they were on the ship in Season 3 and Snow punched Regina in the face and then Regina punched Snow, she still it still kind of felt like she had the upper hand a little bit there. Uh-huh. And I love the fact that Snow is throwing Regina through the door, and she's finally just letting her have it. Like, and I really hope that we get some dialogue there where she's just like, "You ruined my life. This is like, you know, you, you, you bitch, basically." Well, like, just if you totally think about it, talking about you mentioned the ship, we did get a taste of what this could be on on back on the Jolly Rancher with Jolly Rancher. Wow. <laughs> hmm. The Jolly, Jolly, Jolly it, it, yeah, on the Jolly Roger with the 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 mermaid powers, um, messing everybody up. Um, so I think we got a taste of it, but I think it's just me so much more now. It's me more fleshed out, and I don't think it's just going to be blind fury. It's going to be skullduggery and sneakiness, and it's going to be grudges and and that's where the fight's going to come from it's not going to be heat of the moment so much as like planning and plotting I hope that there's some serious consequence like I don't want you know any of my favorites to die but like I want there to be repercussions after this like if you know there are some serious uh, rifts between people even after it gets all you know the curse is gone or you know I want to see some serious conflict. I do. I do want somebody to die. Um, I don't not want somebody I, to die. 
Not not because I want someone to die. I mean, that sounds horrible. I want someone to die, not because I want someone to die. Yeah, that's that totally makes sense. Um, but no, I want somebody to die because <laughs> um, I think that it would up the I think it would up the ante of the drama. Like it would show that you know this curse isn't like the other ones. They actually have you know some consequences. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if somebody were to die, like if they were to kill one of the dwarves, like if Happy were to die, or you know. I don't even, I mean, I, I don't know who, I mean, we know them all, so I don't want any of them to die, but like, but like, you know, like, like, I mean, that would be a big deal to kill off a dwarf. Uh, or I a would, little I just, huh? oh, no, but I just, considering, you know, they've, they've, Iconic I felt like how that would affect Snow White. You know, they've been her, her crew for so long and they're so, they're so ingrained in the, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, it's just that, I think, would definitely have some repercussions. Oh. That would that would be a game changer, I think. That would be a I game changer. I don't know how Disney would... See, it's hard to say because, like, we don't know exactly how far Disney has gone as far as what they've said, like, you know, okay, no killing any princesses or, you know, no killing off certain, you know, do they have that much free reign to kill off their super iconic? I mean, look, well, they did away with Pan, so maybe, I don't know. You're right, they did. Hmm. Although he's not technically, I don't know, he's not solely the rights of Disney, but uh, it's all very complicated. It's so complicated, and there's so much more that we could talk about with this, but honestly, it is about that time to wrap it up. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to cut it off here. Thank you all very much for listening. Um, we appreciate it for joining us in the chat room. Um, I can't wait for next week when we get back and start talking about what happened when, you know, I mean, next week we're going to see the, the Royal Rumble, if you will. Um, so I, I'm stoked for that. I can't wait. I hope you all will join us next week as we find out what happens on the next episode of Once Upon a Time. (laughs) On the next episode of Once Upon a Time. (laughs) Doom, doom, doom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, of course, next week's episode is the second to the last of the season. So we only have two more podcasts to go after this, everybody. So... Um, just keep that in mind, and then we'll go into our, uh, you know, our hiatus schedule for Gallivant. So, thank you all very much for joining us. We will see you guys all next week, and uh, yeah. Until then, stay magical, everybody. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.